Can I confess something to you? When I was in college, I was a total nerd. Surprise, right? Complete shock, jaw drop, no way, Charles, that could have happened, there's no way. I'm sorry to say, absolutely true. I studied engineering in college. My freshman year, I spent my weekends in the computer labs, which is great if I wanted to learn how to hack into my classmates' workstations, but didn't do a whole lot for my social life. So I decided that I was gonna take a PE class on social dancing. Cha-cha, waltz, tango, swing, you know. And this was back in the 80s, so this was actually kind of a thing on college campuses. Well, after the first few classes, I was always come back to my dorm room, and I have these major pain in my legs. Okay, not because of sore muscles, because it wasn't all that strenuous, okay? No, the pain came from bruises, where I would just bang my knees repeatedly into my partner's knees, and then my you know, toes would be black and blue from being stepped on repeatedly. Of course, you should have seen her toes, okay? <laughs> no, it turns out the biggest problem with social dancing is the partner. It wasn't that hard to learn the steps, right? You feel the music, you learn the moves. No, the problem is you actually have to do the steps with your partner in close proximity such that if any of you do anything wrong, there are consequences. Banging knees, stepped on toes, or the worst possible scenario, you fall over on the ground and you're publicly humiliated in front of the whole class. On top of that, Unlike what you may have seen on television, you know, like when dancing with the stars, social dancing is not choreographed. It's not planned. We don't do, oh, this move and then this move and this move. No, 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 no. What's going on is you and your partner, you're actually creating the dance on the dance floor by yourselves right in that moment. So a lot of communication is going on. You're talking without using words. Your body only. And so what's going on is then, it, you can tell it takes a long time. It takes time and energy to develop the skills, the communication, the trust to be able to dance well. Now, throughout church history, theologians and pastors have observed that there are many similarities between dancing with another person and our relationship with the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're talking about today. My name is Charles. I'm one of the pastors on the teaching team. Uh, to the Chinese speakers, uh, to everyone, those of you watching online and those of you here in person, welcome to Blackhawk Church. We're so very glad you're here. Now, this is our ninth and final sermon in our series on Paul's letter to the Galatians, the letter that saved the church. And today we're diving into a passage that is fascinating. It's, it, it has these, Paul's giving these very specific advice, and, and they are practical and at the same time, profoundly insightful about human nature. They're getting at how our brokenness impact our relationship with other people. But let me remind us how we got here. Uh, the church in the first century was mostly Jewish. And at some point, Gentiles, non-Jews, started coming into the church. And so some Jewish Christian leaders decided, hey... These Gentiles, these non-Jews, they need to adopt Jewish practices. They need to adopt Jewish ethnic markers. Like, they need to get circumcised. They need to eat kosher. They need to keep the Sabbath in order to follow Jesus. And then Paul, in this letter to the Galatians, says, no, 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 no. We absolutely cannot require Gentiles, non-Jews, to do Jewish boundary marker things. Can't do that. Why? Because that would change the nature of the gospel. 
Why? Because at the heart of the gospel is this amazing concept called a union with Christ. Our union with Christ restores our relationship with God. Our union with Christ gets us adopted, and we become children of God. Our union with Christ unites all of us, so we become God's family together as one body. And then last week, right, Pastor Chris talks about our union with Christ gives us the Holy Spirit. And this Holy Spirit works in us and produces the fruit of the Spirit. This was last week. That was the really cute bunny talk if you missed it. Okay, go catch it online. Remember that one? Okay, catch it online if you missed it. Now, today we're continuing in this final section in the book of Galatians on the Holy Spirit. We're going to get into some, some, some nitty-gritty, how to live and work with the Holy Spirit. And so if you have your Bible with you, please turn to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. And we're going to begin with verse 25. Galatians 5.25 reads this way, since we live by the Spirit, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Now, this English phrase right there, let us keep in step, translates a single Greek verb, which is stoikeo, stoikeo. And stoikeo comes out of a military context. Now, some of you know that I'm I really like reading and learning my military history, so I'm actually really excited to talk about this, okay? So, yes, I'm still a total nerd. Um, but the basic military tactical unit in the Roman army in the first century is the maniple. This is a maniple. About 120 men, led by two centurions and two standard bearers. They fight as a single unit. You notice they are lined up in ranks. Now, it's probably not that hard to kind of get up there and just stand there lined up like that. But here's the thing. The maniple needs to maintain its fighting formation as it moves on a battlefield, which means it needs to be able to turn left, turn right, speed up, slow down, all the while being shot at by arrows and having horse, horsemen running at you and charging at you. It is not easy to maintain battle formation on a battlefield. And so one of the most important skills a soldier can learn is to know how to stay in line. The Greek verb for standing or marching in a battle line is stoikeo. Now, I'm guessing, maybe aside from the LARPers out there, most of you have never marched as part of a Roman maniple. But that's okay. Because I'm guessing some of you, you have been part of dance troops, maybe in the past or currently. Some of you have been part of marching bands. It's the same concept. Right, you have a leader setting the pace or the music, and then you're kind of sensing other people and you're adjusting constantly. Right? If you go too far apart, what happens? Well, you gotta close that gap. But if you get too close, well, you gotta separate, or otherwise you're gonna tangle and, and run into each other. Somebody is setting the pace, somebody is leading, and then there's a whole group of people following and then sensing, adjusting for each other in order that the whole group can move together in sync in one direction. That's the concept of stoikeo. So built into the very idea of keeping in step with the Spirit is the idea of alignment with other Christ followers. Did you get that? Built into the very idea of keeping in step with the Spirit is the idea of alignment with other Christ followers. Whew. Why? 
because we're one body, united into Christ. Now, some of us have a hard time with this. And I've heard from people who say, you know, I love God, I love Jesus, I don't like other Christ followers. <laughs> and, you know, I totally get that because, because frankly, look, once you get the concept of, of love and grace, getting along with God isn't all that hard, right? My God loves me, and when I screw up, he forgives me. Boy, that's not horrible. No, but the, the, the difficult part comes when God says, you know what? I not only love you and forgive you, I brought you into this people, this people that's supposed to be my partner for the mission of transforming the world. So here's what I'm asking from you. I ask you to train, to walk, to stoikeo, to walk in alignment with a group of Christ followers in your local community. Can you do that for me? And that's what this passage is about. This passage is about walking in line with the Spirit and figuring out how that impacts our relationship with other people. So, Paul, right here, verse 26 onward, gives four commands to us. Number one, let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Number two, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Number three, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. And then number four, kind of a long one, if anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions, then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else, for each one should carry their own load. Now, you, some of you probably noticed that my paragraph break is, here is different from that of the NIV, and I also omitted verse 6. And if you're interested in why, come to the webinar tomorrow night. Four commands. These four commands get at how our brokenness connect with our relationship with other people. And I want you to notice a few words here, a few phrases here, right? You, you see words like conceited, or envying, or, or thinks they are something when they are not, or deceive themselves, or comparing themselves to someone else. See that? You notice these words, right? These words, they are, they're getting at something basic about us humans. And that is this. We human beings use other people to feel good about ourselves. I'm going I'm to put it bluntly. I'm going to put it bluntly, okay? When I see that I'm better at something than you, I feel good. And when I see that you're better at something than me, I feel bad. That's what we do. We do that because that is a core part of our brokenness, and that flows right out of our rebellion against God. It takes us back to the beginning of the story in the Bible. We human beings, we were created to image God. And that means each and single one of us, we represent God with all of who we are, physically, mentally, emotionally. But here's the thing. Every single one of us is unique. We're all different. So each one of us, we image God, we represent God in a different way, in a unique way. So I, I am specifically designed by the creator God of the universe 
to represent him in a way that nothing in the universe, nobody in the universe, ever has or ever will. I fulfill a function that nothing in the universe can replace. I am irreplaceable. Now, I know this is going to sound funny coming from a pastor in the middle of a sermon. But I am awesome. <laughs> I am awesome. I am this incredible being created by God. Glory, power, and honor, yes. And guess what? That is true of every single one of you as well. Do you know that? I mean, not just up here. Do you know that here? Do you feel it? Do you sense it? Do you live it? Because I don't. I don't. And that gets us back to the rebellion. The Bible says we're supposed to be in a relationship with God. And in this relationship, we're supposed to receive this approval, this validation. And guess what? We humans rebelled. And in our rebellion, we became broken. Our relationship with God is broken. And we have forgotten who we're called to be. We have forgotten that we're supposed to image God. Let me just get real here for a moment. Those of you watching online, those of you here, how many of you Christ followers, how many of you wake up every morning and go, hey, today my primary job in life is to image God? Okay, I don't. <laughs> I don't. Now, 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 we get reminded of this when we come to church on Sundays, and then most of us forget by Monday morning. Okay? We forget who we're made to be. And because our relationship with God is damaged, we don't have that place anymore where we experience the validation, the affirmation from God. But here's the problem. We're made for it. We crave for it. We yearn it. We absolutely have to have it. We are made to revel in God's approval and his love and his validation. We are supposed to be, made, to, to be ecstatic about being God's unique image bearers. And when that's gone... When we lost the sense of who we're meant to be, we now cast around looking for something to fill that hole that God fills. We look for it in things and in other people. And so we learn to feel good about ourselves by using other people. Now, you're all aware of the obvious ways in which we do that. But sometimes the way we do that can be very subtle. Like... You know, when my, when my daughters were born, right? And you know, immediately they get an APGAR score. And then we, we do the regular checklist, um, how many diapers, how many naps. And then the rest of it is about tracking milestones. Are they sleeping through the night? Are they getting solid food? Are they sitting up? Are they crawling? Are they standing? We chart them on the percentile chart on weight and height. And we do all of this. I do all of this because I care about them. I love my daughters. I want them to be healthy and strong. Absolutely. But yes, there's also that part that says, hey, them doing well means I'm a good father. Them doing well means I'm a good person. I get something from them. Now, if I run to another family and some parents, and they're like, oh, my kids, they can't sleep through the night. They're struggling so much. And I'm going, oh, I feel so bad. You know, hope you guys are doing better. But then the part in my head that says, maybe they don't know what they're doing like we do, right? Maybe they don't know what they're doing. Maybe I feel better. I use other people to feel good about myself. And so what happens when there's somebody who's better than me come along? 
right? Doing something that I'm supposed to be good at, doing something that I focus a lot of time studying and to do, and they do it better, what happens? Well, first of all, I celebrate them. I go, oh, that's awesome. That is great. But there is that voice in the back of my head that says, you know what? Maybe they'll screw up. You know what I'm talking about. Maybe somebody who's funnier, maybe somebody's more popular, maybe somebody's more good looking, maybe somebody with a better Instagram account. <sighs> Either way, okay, we're competing. We're using other people to fill that hole that God's supposed to fill. And Paul says, no, 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 no. Paul says, no. Only God is supposed to fill that hole. We need to let God be God in our lives. Galatians chapter four. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. Because we are united with Jesus, we gain status as children of God. Okay, and here we recover that knowledge. We recover the knowledge that, they, yes, we're supposed to be God's unique image bearers. We're supposed to be this awesome creation. And yes, we're supposed to celebrate. I am awesome, and God thinks so too. The problem, we know it here. We don't know it here. And so what happens? God sent the spirit of his sons into our hearts. The Spirit comes into our lives, and he's working with us, reminding us, hey, hey, remember, created the image of God. You're created the image of God. You're, you're God's son. You're God's daughter. He's coaching us. He's training us every day of our lives. And you notice, it is the Spirit in our lives. He comes into our hearts, and he's the one calling out, Abba, Father. He's the one that's pushing me to say, Abba, Father, Dad, I am your son. I am your daughter. I do not need validation from anybody else. And that's what our passage today is talking about. It's this new way of life in which we have received the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is reorienting our relationship with the people around us. And so we get, we get, to, get back to Galatians 5. Some of us are conceited. Some of us, we build ourselves up by feeling superior to other people. Right? We, we provoke other people. We bully other people. Why? Because we want to feel the power. We want to feel the good. And some of us, well, we envy each other. Because when we compare ourselves to other people, sometimes you're going to run into people who's better at you, better than you at something. And what happens? Well, I meet you. Gosh, you're better. I feel crappy. I don't like you. And Paul says, look. If you're keeping in step with the Spirit, you're aligned with other people, all of that stops. The next command, in the same vein, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. What is the typical response we have when we hear that another Christian, maybe a prominent Christian, has stumbled in a serious sin? What's the response? <sighs> Hypocrite, judgment, condemnation, and why are we doing that? Because now we're superior. We feel good. And Paul says, those who live by the Spirit don't do condemnation, don't do judgment. No, they do gentle 
restoration. Because gentle restoration recognizes the sin, but is focused on the person because that person is a unique image bearer of God. But Paul says, look, watch out or you also may be tempted. He's not talking about being tempted to do the same sin. No, 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 no. Paul's getting at this temptation to use other people. You know, like, I'm gently restoring this particular sinner. What's my response? Oh, wow, look at me. I am the spiritual leader who is able to gently restore the sinner. Ooh. And Paul's like, man, this is so pervasive. This is so basic to who we are. We're always using other people to feel good about ourselves. And Paul says, no, we need a re fundamental reorientation to how we live and how we interact with others. So command number three, carry each other's burdens. Carry the other person's burdens. Fundamental reorientation. Do I interact with others to get something? Or do I interact with others to give something? That's the question that underlies this passage. Do I interact to give or to get? Now, I'm betting some of you are noticing that what Paul's talking about here requires a high level of self-awareness. That you have to know that you're conceited. You have to know that you're envying each other. You have to know that, oh, I'm using others to pump myself up. You're absolutely right. Paul is talking about a high level of self-awareness. Paul is saying that, hey, knowing yourself, being aware of why you do what you do is an important part of keeping in step with the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 3. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not. They deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else, for each one should carry their own load. What is Paul talking about here? Three things. Number one, know the truth about yourself. Are you willing to find out who you are? Are you willing to see yourself the way God sees you? I think many of us don't. Many of us, we carry an image of ourselves in our own head, and we like it that way. And Paul says, what's the point of lying to yourself? What does that accomplish? And so number two, test your own actions. And Paul here is talking about taking proactive steps to figure out why you do what you do. Number three, so that you can take pride in yourself alone and not compare yourself to anybody else. Now, I just want to say what Paul is saying here, these three things, these are astounding. What Paul is saying to the Galatians and to, to all Christ followers really is that this, okay? For you to keep in step with the Holy Spirit, for you to be aligned with other Christ followers, for you to grow as a Christ follower, you need to know yourself. And this takes active steps. You need to find out who you are because knowledge of self is integrally connected with the knowledge of God. Now, the church has been teaching this for centuries. St. Augustine, in his solilo soliloquies, writes, O unchanging God, 
Let me know myself. Let me know you. St. Teresa of Avila writes, Self-knowledge is so important that even if you were raised right up to the heavens, I should like you never to relax your cultivation of it. And finally, John Calvin, in the beginning of his institutes, writes, without knowledge of self, there is no knowledge of God. Without knowledge of self, there is no knowledge of God. Now, most of these writers, when they're talking about the knowledge of the self, they're talking about the, the, our understanding of our human brokenness. I mean, Augustine was famous for this. He, he, he writes this entire book called Confessions, where he's meditating on the brokenness of his own souls. But the big idea is this. The more we are aware of our human brokenness, the more we desire God, and the more we're in awe of his goodness. And that is absolutely true. Except, if you notice, that that's not where Paul is going in this passage, right? In this passage, Paul says, know the truth about yourself, test your own action with the result that you will have pride. <laughs> Wait, I thought pride was bad. Well, apparently, there's a good kind of pride. All right, before you write your emails, okay, I just want to point out that I'm actually quoting Paul here, okay? So uh, if you look at the passage, right, it says, take pride in themselves alone. I'm just using Paul's words here, okay? Now, so, so what is this good kind of pride about? Well, this good kind of pride is based on self-knowledge. It's based on understanding who we're meant to be in Christ. And that gets us back to the beginning of the sermon, right? It's a recovery of us as God's unique image bearer. I am awesome. I am created by God. Nothing, nobody can ever fulfill my function, the past, present, or future. I am this amazing creation. And as I explore that, as I figure that out, I glory, I boast in the creativity of this God who pours his energy and his power into me. You notice this pride has nothing to do with anybody else. This pride does not come from comparing yourself with others. So that you can have pride without being conceited and without envy. Because that hole in my heart, the hole in our heart that's craving God's affirmation and validation has been filled by God himself. So that now we no longer need anything from other people. So we are free. So we don't interact to get, we interact to give. So Paul is talking about this amazing new way of life in which we're interacting with the Holy Spirit and we're aligned with other people. And all of that is happening as, as we are trained by the Holy Spirit to know more about who we are. And so throughout church history, we have, people have come up with different ways to help us, different tools to help us gain self-knowledge. I want to recommend one to you. Uh, this is the Prayer of Examine, uh, created by St. Ignatius of Loyola. And if you want to get a copy of this, you can go online and get one, or you can just use a QR code. For those of you sitting here right now, go ahead, take out your phone, aim the, aim the camera app at that QR code, and it will take you to this immediately. And you can do this at home as well, for both of you, okay? Seriously, you can get it right now. It's a simple four-step program. Literally, it makes, if you look at this, page and a half on the backside. Four steps. 
You can do this about five minutes, 10 minutes before you go to bed. Just read through it. Do the simple exercise. Very simple. But I want to make it clear. This is not a four-step self-improvement. This is not four easy steps to self-awareness. No, 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 no. This is, this is a tool, this tool along with any other tool, is a tool that we use to give the Holy Spirit the space, the opportunity to work with us, to, to move us, to, to lead us, to take us new, to new places. I mean, right here in the very first prayer, in, in the exam, it says, ask God to fill you with the Holy Spirit so that you can see your day through his eyes. This is all about the work of the Holy Spirit, letting him do his work. So, uh, now, I know as I'm talking about letting the Holy Spirit do his work, some of you are thinking, what does that mean? Right? I, I'm saying, hey, as I, you know, people use that all the time. Like, let the Holy Spirit lead. Let the Holy Spirit do his work. And we're like, wait, what does that really mean? How, how does that actually happen? Great questions. Uh, throughout history, pastors, theologians, when they start talking about walking in step with the Holy Spirit, they often use dancing as the metaphor. Okay? Dancing is the metaphor. They use dancing. They say, hey, dancing with other people teaches us a lot about what it means to walk with the Holy Spirit. So today I want to kind of show you. I want to do a demonstration here. Okay. So I'm going to ask my wife, Serena, to come onto the stage. And uh, now, Serena took social dancing in college. And um, so just remember, okay, we're, we're not pros, okay? Low expectations, okay, low expectations. So, so here goes. So we're doing jive or maybe an East Coast swing, okay? Now, here's the thing to remember about dancing is that it's not choreographed. I'm leading, Serena is following, which might be the only place in our marriage where this happens. But here, she does what I tell her to do. See, I told her to do that. Now, how do we actually do that? Well, I'm communicating, but not by words. Right? I don't say, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna do, a, do a little, you know, a move right there. No, I don't say that. I communicate it with hands, gestures, pull, push. Now, how does that actually happen? Well, sometimes we can screw up, right? I mean, sometimes I'll do something that's not clear enough, and then we just crash into each other. <laughs> Hopefully, not today. <laughs> Now, it kind of works okay, because we've been doing this for a while. But at the beginning, it was rough. A lot of crashing, a lot of bruised knees and elbows and that kind of things. And sometimes, I don't give enough clearance, I'll bank her, bunk on the head. So what I want to get at is this. Even though it's hard to pick up, there is such joy in dancing and just enjoying being in sync with another person as we create a dance together on stage. Thanks, honey. <laughs> I owe you one. All right. So 
how does that help us understand walking with the Spirit? There's no steps. It's not choreographed. The Spirit is leading, and we have no idea what's going on. And so at the beginning, when I first heard about this dance metaphor about, with the Holy Spirit, I go, oh, I can totally relate to that. Because I, my mind goes back to those early days of learning social dancing and my bruised knees and my, and my stepped-on black and blue toes, and I'm going, walking with the Spirit is kind of like that. Was that God or not? I don't know. How do you find out? Take a step. And it works, it works, it doesn't, it doesn't and you find out. It's a trial and error process. There is no book to help you walk with the Spirit. It's a trial and error process in which you just keep going, and it takes a lifetime. And you're finally going, I think I'm more regularly sensing I'm getting what Christ's Spirit is doing. I'm maybe hitting 20% or 30% or 40%. You grow in that process. It's a lifetime. Some of you who've been through it, you know. And some of us who are at the beginning part of this process, get started, because it's fun. There is tremendous joy in moving in sync with the Holy Spirit to create a life together for God and for His glory. And so this section on the Holy Spirit, as well as last week's uh, on the, uh, the fruit of the Spirit, that forms a final section to the book of Galatians. This Holy Spirit section flows out of the theological center of Paul's letter to the, to the book of Galatians, which is union with Christ. Today is Palm Sunday. 2,000 years ago, Jesus got on that donkey and rode his, rode his way up to Jerusalem, proclaiming that, yes, he is indeed the, the, the God, the king of the world. And then within five days, he would be executed on a Roman torture device. And what Paul teaches in Galatians is that the most unexpected things hap thing happened. As Jesus died on that cross, that act, that act allowed millions about millions of people, right? some people, thousands and thousands of years living after Jesus, allowed millions and millions of us to join with him on that cross, to die with him, and then to join him in his resurrection. Paul brings it back. He brings back the cross right at the very end of the Galatian, of the Galatian letter. He writes, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. This is Holy Week. We have many opportunities to be reminded of the central reality of our lives. Monday, Thursday service, online, we take communion. The body of Jesus, the blood of Jesus. We eat it, we drink it. We have Christ in us. We are united with Christ. Good Friday service we're doing with, with the churches on the west side of, of Madison. We're reminded Jesus wasn't crucified alone. That I, that you, those of us who are Christ followers, we are crucified with Jesus along with him. And then this coming Sunday, Easter, wasn't just Jesus' resurrection, but all of us in him coming to new life. This is our story. This week is about our union with Jesus. So I want to close our time in Galatians with the theological center of this book. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I hope that you are familiar with this verse by now and you know what it 
all entails, and I really hope you memorize it. But I want to close by reading it together. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Let me pray for us. Father, we need you. We need to know you love us. We need your affirmation. We need your validation. We need to know that we are your unique image bearers and we want to find all of our identity and our self-worth in you and you alone. But that is so hard for us. We, we're so used to finding it in others and being better than others or comparing ourselves or, or just getting validation from the world around us. So Father, we need the help of your Holy Spirit. We want to walk in step with him and be aligned with the people in your church. We want that life. We want that life of joy and creativity in learning how to dance with your spirit. Help us take that step, Lord. Give us the, remind us tonight as we pick up that exam and, and start the process, the discipline of learning about ourselves. Teach us to walk with you. We pray in Jesus' name.